Greetings and welcome. I'm Jane Barton, and this is Cardinal Musings, a podcast focused on the issues of paramount importance as we age, what I call cardinal concerns. So grab a cup of coffee, settle into your favorite chair. It's time to chat. Today, because of the times in which we live, let's chat about adversity. What is it? How do we typically respond? Is there a potential opportunity in the aftermath of adversity, an afterglow of sorts? And if so, how can we deal with adversity in more life-giving ways? Let's begin with a basic definition of adversity to ensure that we're all on the same page. If you look up adversity online, you'll discover that it's described as a condition or a situation marked by misfortune, calamity, or distress. This definition describes a situation that we're all too familiar with of late. We've all been subjected to adversity over the past two plus years. All shapes and sizes, all varieties of adversity. Situations that have challenged our physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, and psychosocial well-being. To say that the past couple of years have been tough is an understatement. Not to be a drama queen, but the adversity spawned by the global pandemic, social and political unrest, and financial instability and uncertainty, has tested our individual and collective mettle to the max. We've been thrown into the fire, and the consequences have been both heartbreaking and enlightening. Granted, we've all been tested by life previously. Just like you, this is not my first bump in the road in the journey of life. But the magnitude and number of bumps compounded the difficulties posed by life. It's more than tough. It was traumatizing. You might question my usage of the term trauma, but I think it an apt description of our personal and collective experience. Extraordinary events that threaten survival. Events that reside outside the realm of normal human experience or expectation. That's trauma. Now, I don't know about you, but confronting a global health crisis, working, living, and learning in dramatically different ways, navigating an uncertain financial future, and witnessing horrifying global conflict simultaneously has been anything but normal. And yes, the events of the past two years have been and continue to be life-threatening. So traumatizing, individually and collectively, that's what the recent past has been. So what's to be done? How are we to deal with this traumatizing adversity? Well, first, let's recognize why this moment in time is so alarming. Our basic assumptions about life have been shattered. Before COVID landed on our shores in March of 2020, what did you expect from life? When you looked out your window on the world, what did you envision happening from one day to the next? According to Dr. Stephen Joseph in his book, What Doesn't Kill Us, he notes that the Western cultural worldview is predicated on three basic assumptions. First, that the world is basically a benevolent place. 
Granted, there are inherent risks that we learn to navigate and mitigate, but overall our expectation is that we can safely motor through each day unharmed. The second assumption, we are deserving of good things. So if you work hard, abide by the rules, you will be rewarded for your efforts. The third assumption is that we are here for a reason. We are fulfilling a purpose. So our existence matters. Thus, we make a difference in the world by being. Additionally, we like to believe that life is somewhat controllable and ultimately just. Now, I know for these three assumptions, you may take exception to one or perhaps all of them. But just keep in mind that this is a generalization of the worldview in Western culture as offered by Dr. Joseph. So with these three generalized assumptions in mind, it's obvious that the arrival of COVID, along with the other bumps in the road, contradicted this worldview. It was no longer viable. The world was not benevolent. We no longer felt safe and secure after the advent of COVID. Everyone was at risk of contracting the virus. It did not distinguish between good and bad people. Deserving people were devastated, if not destroyed, by the situation. And life no longer seemed meaningful, controllable, or just. Much that happened was perceived as incredibly unfair, causing us to ask why. We no longer had a set of rules to guide our day-to-day existence, which was and continues to be destabilizing and distressing. So the bottom line our worldview was shattered, making it impossible to comprehend the situation. Appreciating the consequences of a shattered worldview, the second thing to be done is this. Do not lose hope. Hope is mandatory if we are to persist. So please hear this. All is not lost. According to many experts in philosophy and psychology, adversity actually serves as a conduit to wondrous personal growth, transformational growth. This is what I refer to as the afterglow of adversity. This sounds hopeful, right? When I was in seminary many years ago, I gained a deep appreciation for this idea and approach to life when studying the work of Viktor Frankl. Dr. Frankel was a neurologist and psychiatrist of the 20th century and also a survivor of the Holocaust. He is best known for his book, Man's Search for Meaning, in which he describes his experience in the concentration camps of World War II. He also shares what he learned about life from this traumatizing experience. He notes, quote, Life does not take shape until it has endured the hammer blows of fate under the white heat of suffering, unquote. It's when we are tested, when we're thrown into the fire, that's when we learn the most about ourselves and the most about life. Granted, it's a tough way to learn, but reflect on your own experience. When have you learned the most about life? What prompted the turning points in your journey? When have you learned the most about yourself? No doubt upon reflection, you'll recognize the moments of adversity as your greatest teachers. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that we seek out adversity in order to learn. In fact, Frankel also notes that there is nothing inherently good in adversity. However, it is possible to derive something good from adversity. That's what I mean by the afterglow of adversity. It can serve as a catalyst for a greater sense of overall well-being, a catalyst for personal growth, growth that might not have occurred otherwise. I was reminded of Frankel's wise words when I was on vacation recently. I traveled to one of my favorite places in the Rocky Mountains. Grand Lake is a little town adjacent to the west entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park. I was very excited to return to Grand Lake since I had not been on vacation in almost three years. However, I was a wee bit worried as well. I'd heard that some of my favorite restaurants and stores had closed during COVID. And additionally, and more importantly, a horrific fire two years ago had ravaged the western entrance to the park. So much had changed. So much had been lost. Did I really want to witness the devastation? Well, to be honest, I wasn't sure, but I decided to venture forth. Although the trip was bittersweet for the reasons noted, I'm so incredibly thankful for my time in the mountains. Yes, it was a different experience than in times past. Yes, it was heartbreaking to see the bare hillsides. Yes, I longed to be transported back in time on several occasions. But I was also inspired by the signs of courage, tenacity, hope, and life in the aftermath of the horrific events. Let me explain with a story. I was blessed to take my first vacation in three years with my best friend a few weeks ago. As always, we opted to spend our time in the Rocky Mountains west of Denver, our little piece of heaven on earth. When we arrived in Grand Lake this year, we could see the consequences of the East Troublesome Fire of 2020. The mountain slopes above the town that had been previously covered with vegetation are now bare and stark. The charred remains of trees appeared as sentinels looming over the tiny mountain town. It was frightening to see how close the fire came to destroying the town. Obviously, the firefighters did an amazing job protecting the inhabitants and their homes and businesses. We stared at the scene in silence. Words were inadequate to express the grief we felt. Several days later, we decided to venture into the park. The west entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park is just a few minutes north of Grand Lake. We knew from the various reports and articles related to the fire that the west side of the park had been severely impacted. Many of the trails that we'd hiked in years past had only recently opened. It took that long to clear the burned trees from the trails and to stabilize the denuded slopes making it safe for hikers to traverse the terrain. Although we knew what to expect, the scene that unfolded as we drove past the visitor center and entry gate was heartbreaking. I couldn't believe my eyes. This couldn't possibly be the park I have loved and hiked for the past 20 years. As I looked around in total disbelief, I noticed my best friend, 
She was weeping uncontrollably. She was equally as shocked, appalled, and disbelieving as I. As we moved further into the park, we marveled at the vagaries of the fire. Why were some trees spared and others decimated? And what caused the fire to stop advancing to the north? A change in the wind direction? Different vegetation? The efforts of the firefighters, a fluke of nature? What determined what lived and what burned? So many questions were spinning around in my brain as my heart tried to comprehend the expansive loss and devastation evidenced by the blackened landscape. For the remainder of the day, we explored other parts of the park that were unaffected by the fire. As we hiked various trails, we tried to process our feelings and make sense of what we had witnessed. Granted, we couldn't change the reality of the situation, but we needed to come to terms with it. Talking while hiking helped us identify our emotions and move the energy around. Now, I'll admit that I never achieved a sense of acceptance, but I did ultimately reconcile with the reality. It's hard to deny the harsh reality when it slaps you in the face. But needless to say, we are still processing. Now, several days later, we decided to return to the park and hike one of our favorite trails, a trail that had been severely damaged by the fire. Basically, we were confronting the loss that we were both feeling so intensely. That morning, we were the only people on the trail. It was a glorious day, crisp and clear and quiet. The skies were that incredible Colorado bluebird color, an image that always brings a smile to my face and prompts me to sigh with delight. We walked in silence, being present to the moment, and I felt as if I were walking through a cemetery, a sacred space filled with sacred spirits. It was breathtaking. As I looked around, I not only felt a profound sense of loss, but I also had a sense of wondrous life. Interspersed with the burned remains of aspen and pine trees were gorgeous wildflowers of all colors, purple, white, red, yellow, blue, and orange. I noticed small aspen trees pushing through the ashes of the fire, and there were hints of baby pine trees poking through the dirt as well. Dancing among the charred tree trunks were brilliant shafts of light, complements of the rising sun, and in the distance, a glorious soundtrack of gurgling, life-giving water was offered by the Tanahutu Creek. I will always remember that moment, that scene, in which the coexistence of death and life was so poignantly displayed. It was a scene that gave me hope, a scene that encouraged me to keep believing, to keep striving, to keep living. Despite the fire, life had found a way. Now, the harsh reality is that the western portion of the park will never be the same. The park as I knew it. But it will be. It will survive and it will thrive in amazing and wondrous ways. And that is a beautiful thing indeed. Different, yes, 
but beautiful nonetheless. So what's the lesson to be learned from my experience in the park? Well, in the aftermath of all the adversity of the past few years, there is beauty to be discovered, to be relished, and to be embraced once we've grieved and mourned our losses. We must accept that life will never be the same. The world is forever changed. We are forever changed. Thus, longing for what was doesn't serve us well. We can't go back. Instead, we must accept the reality of our situation, confront the challenges, consider the realistic possibilities, and choose to persevere. If we've learned nothing over the past two years, it's this. Life is fragile. No one has a guarantee beyond this moment. So let's live more intentionally. Let's live more attentively. Let's live more compassionately. Let's live more gratefully. Let's choose to live into the afterglow of this adversity, welcoming life-giving growth and transformation. Living into the afterglow of adversity doesn't just happen. It's a choice, an intentional choice, and perhaps a choice we fail to make, opting to be a victim of our circumstances. Viktor Frankl discusses the importance of leaning into life and making intentional choices, life-giving choices, in his book Man's Search for Meaning. Frankl recognizes a basic truth about life— We can't control everything that happens over the course of a lifetime. Now, as a professed control freak, this truth often frustrates me. Perhaps you feel the same way. But Frankel does have some good news for us. We are in control of something, our response to life. When life happens, we retain the ability, the freedom, to choose a response to whatever happens. Therefore, we're not victims of life unless we choose to play a submissive role. Thus, when life derails in unexpected and unwanted ways, we need not feel powerless and hopeless. Instead of being pushed back on our heels, we can choose to stand tall and lean into the moment, seeking possibilities, opportunities, and beneficial options. We can choose how to respond when tested by life. And that choice is vitally important because it then determines the trajectory of life from that point forward, for better or for worse. So consider this. When responding to life, are you a carrot, egg, or coffee bean? (laughs) Now, before you start questioning my sanity, consider this lovely story about a grandmother and her granddaughter. It's a parable I came across years ago. The author is unknown. A young woman went to her grandmother and told her about her life and how things had become so hard. She didn't know how she was going to make it, and she wanted to give up. She was tired of fighting and struggling. It seemed as one problem was solved, a new one arose. Her grandmother took her to the kitchen. She filled three pots with water. The first, she placed carrots. 
In the second, she placed eggs, and in the last, she placed ground coffee beans. She let them sit and boil without saying a word. In about 20 minutes, she turned off the burners. She fished out the carrots and placed them in a bowl. She pulled the eggs out and placed them in another bowl. Then she ladled the coffee into a cup. Turning to her granddaughter, she asked, Tell me what you see. Rolling her eyes, the granddaughter replied, Carrots, eggs, and coffee. The grandmother then brought her closer and asked her to feel the carrots. She did and noted that they had become soft. She then asked her to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. Finally, she asked her to sip the coffee. The granddaughter smiled as she tasted its rich flavor. The granddaughter then asked, What's the point, grandmother? Her grandmother then explained that each of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water, but each responded differently. The carrot went in strong, hard, and unrelenting. However, after being subjected to the boiling water, it softened and became weak. The egg had been fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior. But after sitting through the boiling water, its inside became hardened. The ground coffee beans were unique, however. After they were in the boiling water, they had changed the water. Which are you? she asked her granddaughter. When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? So I invite you to ask yourself this question. Which am I? Am I the carrot that seems strong but with pain and adversity? Do I wilt and become soft and lose my strength? Or am I the egg that starts with a malleable heart but changes with the heat? Did I have a fluid spirit, but after a death, a breakup, a financial hardship, a global pandemic, or some other trial, have I become hardened and stiff? Does my shell look the same, but on the inside, am I bitter and tough with a stiff spirit and a hardened heart? Or am I like the coffee bean? The bean actually changes the hot water, the very circumstance that brings the pain. When the water gets hot, it releases the fragrance and flavor. If you are like the bean, when things are at their worst, you get better and change the situation around you. When the hours are the darkest and the trials are their greatest, do you elevate to another level? How do you choose to respond? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? Well, my friends, I hope you heard something of benefit today. As I note more often than not these days, these are strange and uncertain times, challenging to say the very least. So I think it's now more important than ever to seek the afterglow of adversity, to choose a response to life that is beneficial and life-giving. Now, I know it can be daunting when attempting to figure out what to do in response to life. I get it. I certainly don't profess to have the answer for you or for anyone else. But I do hope that by sharing some of my aha moments, like the one in the park this summer, 
you can gain some insights as to what will serve you well in the days and weeks to come. Consider the story of the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. And finally, choose to believe that you are braver and bolder than you ever imagined. Just like the glorious wildflowers I saw surviving in the ashes of the fire, you can and will thrive in the aftermath of adversity if you so choose. So hang on to hope. Believe in the possibilities. Choose to be the catalyst to change your circumstances for the better, for yourself and for others. If we all make that courageous choice, together we will change the world. May it be so. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you heard something of benefit. I also offer virtual programs and reflections on similar topics. If interested, please check out my website to review upcoming events and to read my blog at cardinallife.com. Send any questions, comments, or suggestions to my email, cardinallife at msn.com. I look forward to musing with you again in the very near future about other cardinal concerns. Till then, take good care and remember to enjoy the moment. Blessings to you and yours.